Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. God is doing really, really cool things. I'm so proud to be a part of this church. I don't know if, if you are new or if you're visiting, but I love this church. I think this is an amazing bunch of people. So privileged to, to do the life together. Just also before we move on and say anything else, I get the microphone so I'm allowed to do this stuff. My wife and I celebrated five years of uh, marriage on Friday. Yeah, very cool. Well done, Fiona. Um, but I just... I, 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 yeah, just she hates it when I do these things, and she's in the back there, so she'll hear me, and so she can't see me, which is fine. But um, but I she I don't know. But Fiona is the most amazing woman in the world to me, obviously. But uh, she is an incredible lady, and I don't think we all. Know, I think everyone would agree if you knew Fiona. She's a highly gifted, uh, talented woman on the natural. But she's an incredible, what people don't know or won't see are the, are the hours of seeking Jesus for, for, for us as a family, as a church. And I want to tell you, she's a, a woman that I'm so grateful for. Years ago, I, went, I remember getting married of, when I was engaged to Fiona. My mom leant over and said to me during a worship service, she said, before we got married, she said, this is God's gift of grace to you. And, uh, and Fiona is a strong lady. And I think sometimes I think grace, sometimes we think it's supposed to strength. It seems almost a bit of a soft word, grace. But I found God's gift of grace has been the most, inc- the most incredible gift ever that God could have ever given. So I just want to say, I love you, Fee. Thank you. Um, and uh, yeah, just, just a, she's an amazing lady that loves you guys, loves this church, lays down her life for this church. She reads the word for this church. She seeks God for the church. She's been pregnant and sick this weekend. And I said, why don't you stay at home today? And she says, no, no, I, I, I want to be there. I want to be there. And it's not out of any sense of duty, but because she, she really loves this church and the people of this church. So just wanted to honor my wife because I love her a lot. Anyway, cool. With that out the way, we are finishing a series this morning. And it's, we're rounding up our series called Into the Deep. And it's a four-week series that we just felt God lead us to the scripture, Luke 5, where, and we've been looking through that narrative the last few weeks where Jesus says to Peter, a fisherman who's come up empty-handed, go out again and cast your nets into the deep. Go into the deep and cast your nets there. And Peter had all these excuses but said, but because you say so, God, I'm going to do it. And he came up with this incredible catch, this most incre- amazing life-altering catch of fish that were not there before, but because of God's word, God shifted the atmosphere, shifted what Peter was about. And from that moment, Peter moved from being a fisherman to being a fisher of men. And God changed the whole course of his life. But this whole series for us has not just been about a singular moment. For us, this is not just for one person or two people. This is for us as a community. We believe God is shifting us. A great man named Dudley Daniels once said this. He said, it's more important what you saved into than what you saved out of. Sometimes we hear people's stories and their testimonies about the terrible things that, God is, that, that the enemy has done in their lives and, that, and then where how God has saved them. And that's amazing. Like, wow, God, thank you for saving them out of that. But I want to tell you it's more important what you saved into, into a future, into grace, into freedom that God has for you. And those are the things we want to be talking about. And we're saying that actually God in this season, we believe, is calling us out of the crowd. He's calling us out of compromise. He's calling us out of uh, comfort and calling us into calling, into conviction, into closeness with Him. And this for us is something of our vision. So Mark preached three weeks ago, I don't know if you remember, he preached about that we are people who reach far, that actually God is calling us to cast our nets out a bit further and trust that those people who are so far from God are going to come home. I want to tell you, I'm trusting that Easter is eight weeks away. 
Now, I'm really trusting that we're going to have double amount of people here on our Easter services. Not because we've got a great campaign lined up, but because actually we've got friends and families that we can invite and we can partner together that people can hear the good news of Jesus. And we're wanting to see marriages restored. We want to see lives restored. We want to see stories changed. And I believe that God has called us to the church, not as individuals, not as people who are gifted, but as a church to be a people who reach far. And I'm trusting for that. I'm so excited for that. Last week we spoke about that not only are we people who ra- reach far, but we raise up. We become all that God has called us to be. Then actually we're saying that it demands obedience, it demands availability. It demands laying down our lives, saying, Jesus, this is what disciples are. When Jesus says, come follow me, he doesn't say, come follow me from a distance. He says, come follow me up close and personal and become all I've called you to be. And finally, this morning, what I want to be preaching about is the third part of who we are as a people. Raise, reach far, raise up, but ultimately release wide, meaning that we don't exist for ourselves. That actually suburban Christianity is too small a thing to be buying into. That we are called to change the world. Jesus says, come follow me. And he says, and I'll make you fishes of men. I'll give you a story that's much bigger than you could ever ask, dream, or imagine. Your life is going to count into eternity if you link it to my story. That's what we're going to be doing this morning. So we're picking up for the sake of time this morning at the end of Luke 5 verse 11. The story finishes with Peter catching this amazing amount of fish. Jesus saying to him, actually, that's just the start of it. You're going to leave the fish. Come follow me. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And Peter and his disciples, it says the rest of the disciples, they, they dropped their nets and they, immediately they followed Jesus and they walked after him for the rest of their lives. Now, the amazing thing is I kept reading this amazing story is that this story, the, the doctor who's writing it, Luke, is, finishes that story, and then without skipping a beat, in our Bible we've got a, a, like a, a subtitle dividing the story, but actually the story continues. The rest of chapter 5 is so profound that there's actually three quick stories that happen, one after the other, and I, and I found them so profound that actually Jesus says, Peter, it's time to go into the deep, and he wasn't just meaning into the ocean, he was meaning actually everything is changing for your life, physically, metaphorically, emotionally, and every single level, everything's changing. And the first story we find is from that moment, Peter leaves everything to follow Jesus. They leave that amazing uh, moment. He's on a, on a high saying, this is exciting. Jesus and his ma- band of berry, merry men or berry men or whatever words I'm saying this morning. Jesus and his band of merry men follow him. And the first thing they come into uh, contact with, as you keep reading, is a man who suffers from leprosy. And this man who suffers from leprosy comes and walks up to them and walks straight up to Jesus and says, Jesus, have mercy on me. Would you heal me? If you're willing, will you heal me? Now, we have to understand in that culture, lepers were supposed to be kept at not just an arm's distance, but a long way away. Leprosy was the disease of the day that was ravaging people. It was a skin condition that was highly contagious. If you came in contact with them, you would get it. And lepers were so, people were so scared of lepers that actually when you got leprosy, you were cast out of the community. You had to live outside of the city walls, so much so that you actually also had to carry a bell with you that you had to ring when you came into the city to let people know that you're coming. And you had to yell out, unclean, unclean, so people could give you a wide berth so the leper could walk past. So Peter's grown up with this, probably never seen a leper in real life. He's a young lad, just been a fisherman. But all of a sudden, this into the deep journey changes as the first thing he sees is a leper coming out. It's like, it's the walking dead. That's what I'm picturing in my head, the zombie apocalypse. As this guy is going unknown, he's lived in the the shadows for a long time, but he's recognized something in Jesus. And he comes to Jesus, and I can imagine the Jewish boys behind Jesus shrinking back going, what are we doing with this leper? Why is he coming close? And a leper comes close to him. And this amazing scenario happens, the leper, everyone else would run away, but Jesus goes up and says, I am willing, Jesus touches him, and that man is immediately healed. 
And Jesus says to him, actually, I want you now to go, and I want you to go do what Leviticus 14 says, go and present yourself to the high priest because I want you now need to come and bring the sacrifices so that you are clean and you can enter back into the community. And I can imagine the boys freaking out about this. This guy shouldn't be coming close to us. But the story's changed because actually you're no longer just living for yourself, Peter. Everything is changing. The next story, if you keep reading, they go to the commentators tell us Peter's house. It was Peter's house, and they're having a meeting there. Revival's breaking out. The word is spreading that Jesus is on the move. He's healing people with leprosy. He's healing incredible diseases. He's giving sight to the blind. So people gather in this house. It's so full. It's so packed. It's like life changes at Easter this year. So packed. Full of people. There's not a seat available. And people are cramming, cramming next to see Jesus. And there's a man down the road who's paralyzed. And he can't get into this meeting. He literally can't because he's got no, no ability to walk or get there. But four friends, and we're not even given their names, they're just called some men, decide that actually we can't let this be. They try and get through the door. They carry them there. They can't get them. Is there, is there overflow? No, no, no. We, we've got a crippled guy. How do we get in? Please, man, who, where's the hosting team? No one's available. Everyone's looking at Jesus. They're like, you know what? Maybe we should just go home. The, the crippled guys, the paralyzed guys, let's just go home, guys. Thank you for trying. They're like, no, no, no. That's not, that's not going to happen on our watch. So what they do is they hoist this man up onto the roof. I can imagine this might be an ungainly thing. He might have probably bashed his elbows along the way and going, hey, guys, I know I'm paralyzed, but please be gentle with me. But they hoist him up onto the roof, and then they get up there. How are we going to get there? There's no, there's no skylights here. So what they do is they, they start digging into the ceiling and pulling away brick and mortar, and, and suddenly bricks start to fall from the ceiling, and Jesus stops preaching, and, and he's like, wait, I was just getting up to my main point, but what's happening? All of a sudden, the light starts to shine through, and these guys low, careful, slowly, lower this paralyzed guy right into the middle of the crowd. There, the paralyzed guy there, and Jesus says, Jesus looks up. He doesn't look at that guy. He looks at those guys and says, because of your faith, Stand up, get up and walk. And this guy gets up and walks out of there. This is like, that's a good, that's a good church service. <laughs> let's be honest. They're like, wow, it's amazing. Now let's go for coffee. Yeah. Just like it's exciting. Then the next story, just it goes on, is they go, the boys, they leave that amazing. They're probably muttering, going, lepers. Now paralyzed guys, what's next? This is crazy. They walk down the road and they walk past a man named Matthew who's a tax collector. And now they walk past this guy. These, if, they, if you think lepers were given a wide berth, tax collectors were probably given even a wider berth. Why? Because tax collectors were Jewish people. They were the friends, the people who probably went to preschool with Peter. They probably knew of his family. But somewhere along the journey, he had gone and become a sellout, and he had gone and started working for the Roman government as a representative of the Roman government, and they would tax the Jewish people on behalf of the oppressive state. But actually, the way the tax collector made money was that they would raise the taxes even more than the Romans would have, so whatever they have on top, they could make. So they were abusing their own people. These were the sellouts that people were like, sellout. They would have no one, no, that actually the, the tax collectors were grouped in a coupling of tax collectors and sinners. So all the reprobates were put together with, and those guys, tax collectors and them. So these are the sort of guys, Peter would be like, leper, paralyzed guy, oh, tax collector, Jesus, Jesus, come, come, I know, I know a different way. We don't have to walk past him. I know, I just, you anointed Jesus, don't you? don't need to look upon this guy. But Jesus says, no, no, I want to walk past this guy. And Jesus actually doesn't just walk past him. He stops and says, Matthew, Levi, get up, leave your tax collector and come follow me. And a miracle happens. The tax collector doesn't say anything. He puts down his money. He gets up. And he follows them. It's like this miracle upon miracle. It just happens in quick succession after the story. Into the deep and bam, bam, bam. And as I read it, I realized that the first story, there's a leper, a man who shouldn't have come to Jesus. You must stay away. 
Then there's a story of a paralyzed man, a man who couldn't come to Jesus. And then there's a man of a tax collector, a man who wouldn't come to Jesus. So we see in quick succession, the shouldn't, the couldn't, and the wouldn't come to Jesus, and their stories are changed forever. Just boo, boo, boo. Jesus shows, actually, in this moment, I'm pulling down every single wall of where you think that shouldn't happen, that can never happen, that won't ever happen. Jesus says, no, 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 with me, anything's possible. Into the deep. This is the story that Jesus is going on. I want to tell you that Jesus is wanting to do this with us as a people as well. So I want to tell you Jesus is calling us out of prejudice, out of fear, out of limitations, and he's calling us out of smallness into a bigger adventure than we could ever have asked, dreamt, or imagined. So I've got two points this morning, but before I get to them, let's pray. Father, I pray for us as a people, would we open our hearts wide to receive your word here? Would you encourage us as you have already with worship, with testimony, and now with your word, would it fill us with faith that we may act on it and be changed forever? I thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this light, I want to give us two things that I want to put deep in your heart that are burning inside of me as we land this series. Number one, it'll be on the screen behind me very simply this morning. I want to tell you loud and clear, no matter where you find yourself this morning in your spiritual journey, you are called. You are called. Some of you might be saying, I'm called what? You are called by God. You're called by God. What I mean by that is when you were born, the doctor said, "Ah, another crying baby. Your mom said, is it a boy or is it a girl? Not too sure. I have to look closely. The social worker said, another mouth to feed. But the heavenly father silenced all of heaven and went, shh, the plan has begun. The plan has begun. There is destiny in your DNA. That's who you are. God has called you from birth. He tells in Scripture, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. God has known you. No matter how far you feel you are from Him or how far you've disqualified yourself, He has known you and He has called you and He is raising you up for such a time as this. I don't know about you, but I often, often, often come face to face with my ordinariness and my unqualified nature. I come face to face with it most weeks. But thank goodness that we are people who don't just respond to what we see in front of us. We are people who respond to the Word of God. So I want to tell you this morning that one of my favorite scriptures will be behind me now. Ephesians 3 verse 10 says this. It declares this. It says, now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God will be made known. Now, I I don't know about you, but I, I look at that scripture and I think so often I've, I've read it with now through a church, meaning a worldwide brand name church. You've got the ability to put s- stuff on TV, so you're supposed to get on a, 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 a web show, podcasts. Now, who, those who've got a big budget, now through a church maybe, the manifold wisdom of God will be known, made known. But it doesn't say through a church. Maybe it, I thought it should have said now through a pastor. A charismatic gift that's got YouTube channel views in the millions. Now through a pastor, God is going to make known the manifold wisdom of God. But it doesn't say that either. It says now through the church. And that word, the church, church there, meaning not a building, not a a brand name of a church, but the people of God. That literally is translated ecclesia, meaning called out ones. You are called. The ones that God has called out of darkness into marvelous light, He is calling them the church, His people. He says now through those people, the manifold wisdom of God is going to be made known. Do you want to do something scary? Look to the left of you. And then look to the right. That is the church. And this is, that is who that scripture is talking about. I don't know if that fills you with confidence or fear. <laughs> really, Lord? Him? No, I'm just joking. 
But there's a myth that I would love to dispel this morning. That some, the myth is like this, that some people do the ministry and some people clap and cheer from the sidelines. They're, they're, they're people who are the men of God. You know, the men of God. Oh, that man's a man of God. And then there are others who are not. They're the haves and they're the have-nots. They're those who are full-time. That guy's full-time in the ministry and then those who are not. I want to tell you that actually this has been a problem in the whole of church history. All that we've been in Bible college, we've been looking at, on that happens on Monday nights, looking at church history. And one of the things that was fought for in the Reformation is that the fact that the church for centuries had read the scriptures in, a, in an individualistic way where it set apart men of God opposed to other people, set apart the clergy from the laity, from the, the superstars, from the ordinary people, that actually the work of ministry and the work of, of, walking, of, of representing God to humanity was restricted to a few. Until 1517, a man named Martin Luther arrives, and he reclaims this truth of the priesthood of all believers, of the ecclesia, now through the church, not through a pope, not through a priest, not through a bishop, but through the church, the glory of God is going to be made known. So he comes, he nails to the door of the church, the 95 Thesis, and he's, at this moment, he's attacking everything, the pope and the priesthood of that day, because of their ability to hold power close to them, they'll, and, and hold, withhold the Bible from the people, withhold the truth of the priest of all believers, they had power over people, because that what they say is go. Because no one else, no one else can argue with them. But Martin Luther came, and in this moment, he's almost putting a finger up the Pope's nose. This is huge. This was this was amount, amounted to treason, heresy. This man could have been put to death. He had seen many people before him and after him for similar things, burned to death at the stake. But this is one of his quotes. He says this: "It is pure invention that Pope, Bishop, priests, and monks are called the spiritual estate, while princes, lords, artisans, and farmers are called the temporal estate." This is indeed a piece of deceit and hypocrisy. The best quote is coming. He says this, For whoever comes out of the water of baptism can boast that he is already a consecrated priest, bishop, and pope. He added, I think he added the word pope there just to really stick it up the pope's nose there. Just, I, I love it. And, and you know what, He's, this thing, he goes on and, and Martin Luther was fighting for this term because actually the church for so long, even the word saint had been relegated to people who had died and who had died with some sort of moral credibility, or they'd done a miraculous uh, work in their life. So these, these select few became saints that other people then would venerate or even pray to. When actually, when we read Scripture, when it talks about the word saint, it's talking about you and I. Not some holy man who's died, but actually the people of God is the word, you are saints. From the moment you give your life to Jesus, you become a saint. What a cool thing to add to your Twitter bio. I am a saint. Wow. Amazing. But it goes on and on in Scripture. If you don't believe me, it's always been God's design. Exodus 19, verse 6 to Moses. He said, I'm going to make Israel a nation of priests, a kingdom of priests. He says in Isaiah 61, the great foreshadowing about Jesus, he says, I'm going to raise up a nation of priests. 1 Peter, verse 2 and 5 and verse 9, we know it. You are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God. Revelations 1 and, and Revelations 5 goes on and on and tells us that I'm raising up to be a kingdom, a nation of priests unto our God. This is the language in the heart of God. He's always not wanted one man to represent the people. He's wanted actually one king named Jesus and the rest of us to minister on his behalf. You and I are priests. Welcome to the priesthood. You don't have to put on a fancy robe either. It's good news for us here in South Africa. But I, I, I want to just really put this in our hearts because actually where does this land is that there actually becomes this, a dualistic separation of lives. It's actually, for a fancy word, it's called Gnosticism. 
And, and, and maybe you say, no, you know, that's, I'm not into super spiritual stuff. I promise you it filters into our lives where we have two things, where we see the clergy, those people who are holy and full-time and they're the good and godly people, and then we have the normal people. We have this dualistic separation. And we don't just do it in that level. We do it with the days of the week. We say that one day seems holier than the other days. Sunday becomes this day in South Africa. It's a culture where people live like hell all week, but on Sunday if we put a suit on, we can go to church because that day is holier than that day. I want to tell you, actually, there's a problem that actually is called Gnosticism, where we separate one thing from another thing. We say that part is a part of worshiping Jesus, but that part is not. But actually, we want to take that thing down, because actually, I, I grew up on dramatic tales of missionaries. I grew up where I was told stories of missionaries who went to far-flung lands with the gospel. But I think, and there's something beautiful about that. Men and women who go to far places to do incredible things and trust Jesus. That's amazing. But I think in, in reading those stories, I way too often disqualified the ordinary, the run of the mill, the 95% of my life because I was waiting to be called. I don't, people still say that to me these days. Spirit, people in, from religious backgrounds are saying, hey, you're a pastor. When did you know you were called? I'll say, the day I gave my life to Jesus. When, what are you talking about? And I understand it comes with religion notion, religious notions. I get that. But actually, I think we're always waiting for this call. But actually, I believe we need to stop waiting for the call of God and realize that we called where we are. Or so Stephen Furtick more powerfully puts it, he says, stop waiting for a move of God. You are a move of God. He's already moved in your life. Stop waiting for it. Oh, waiting for revival. It's happened. He's made you alive and he sent you as a missionary to where you are. He sent you here. This is how we're going, and actually, we are everyday missionaries, and just to prove that I'm um, legit with the culture, in 2011, a man named Kanye West and Jay-Z wrote a song called Church in the Wild, and it was a protest song of sorts, where they were protesting about religion, and saying there was no, there's no church where we're at, there's no church in our brokenness, the church is over there doing their own thing, but where we are, we're the, we, need a, we don't have a church, there's no church in the wild, the chorus goes, there's no church in the wild. And, and you know what, as, as, I, as I hear that song, that actually I'm realizing that actually the, the reason why is because actually churches have become churches in the zoo. Where what we do is we come and we parade our spiritual people and we use spiritual gifts on Sundays. Where's the spiritual gift of encouragement? Where am I going to serve on a Sunday? Where am I going to do those things? And it's like a zoo where we clap and applaud. Wow, that was a great sermon. How was worship for you today? And we start rating Sunday when actually we were made to be a church in the wild. The place where the people are saying there's no church here, we're going, yeah, yeah, but we're coming. I'm arriving there Monday. Our meeting times are 8 till 5. It's a long service. It's because I'm at work every day. Uh, my, we're a church in the wild, the place where no one else can go, where actually pastors aren't going. The priesthood are being sent. This is who we are called to be. And actually, you know what? My job as a pastor, my job is not to actually preach good sermons. Believe it or not. In our celebrity culture world, we measure sermons by the number of views or how encouraged I felt. But actually, a pastor's job, according to Scripture, in Ephesians 4, verse 12 says, the pastor's job is to equip the saints for works of service. So here's the thing. If you as a saint, as a priest, are not going and being a minister of the gospel where you are, I am failing. This church could grow to 10,000, but if 10,000 people are just coming and sitting and going, well done just a bigger zoo. When we were created to be a church in the wild, 
And I want to say from this moment that we are people, that we get to release a priesthood of believers, and you are called. And, and I really believe that a pastor, I'm not bashing these things because we, we use social media, we use these things, but actually the world is not going to be saved by a pastor on YouTube. It was never the plan. God's plan is always to raise up a people, a people of priests, a people who are a kingdom of priests who will go and minister to the world. This is the heart of God, and I, I, I wanted to say this very clearly, that we did, I think we very quickly disqualify ourselves from this. But here's the greatest news right now. You did not trick Jesus on your entrance exam. Sometimes I'm sitting there going, oh, I'm not like, I'm not as, I don't think I'm as far as I should be. And maybe I'm thinking, oh, Jesus might have chosen the wrong guy. Here's the great news. He chose you. He called you by name. He did not go, ah, oh, flip, redhead. Doesn't he come in blonde? Oh, no, he chose me with my insecurities, my failings, and not to leave me there, but he said, I'm calling you out of and into and into something greater, into the deep. And this is the greatest news for you and I. This is so freeing that the blood of Jesus set us free, and the same blood is empowering us to walk this journey out. First point, you are called. Secondly, for time's sake, is not only are you called, you are equipped. There's another myth that I've said often. I don't know enough. I'm not mature enough. I'm not holy enough. But I, I want to emphasize from the moment you are called, he gave you the power for the task. God is not a cruel God who gives you a calling, but doesn't give you the power to accomplish it. Ephesians 1 verse 3, it's behind me on the screen. It's a, one of my favorite scriptures as well. It says, this, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In my Bible, I've underlined, has blessed, past tense, done. He has blessed. I've, under, I've underlined that because actually he has blessed it already, and then I've underlined every, the word every spiritual blessing. I want to tell you right now, there is, you've got nothing lacking for what God has called you to do. If we believe scripture, if we believe our failings, our circumstances, that's fine, then, you, then you're not going to make it. But if I believe the word of God is the highest authority in my life, that this thing is the thing that tells me the truth, when everything else is trying to lie to me and seduce me into a lower form of living, this thing tells me I've been given every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. I've been given everything I need for life and godliness. He has not withheld held anything good from you for you to walk in. You are more equipped than you know. Some of you are still struggling to believe me. I'll help us here. There's another Gnostic thinking, dualistic separation, where we say some moments are physical moments and some moments are spiritual. Now, yes, some moments do feel more spiritual because there's a keyboard playing and someone leading us in worship or you've got Hillsong playing in the car. It's like, this is a spiritual moment. Yes, there are those moments, and it's good. But actually, what God is trying to tell us is that actually we are always both. As Christians right now, you are physical. The Gnostic thinking sometimes says, no, we are always spiritual. The physical things are not important. I don't need to eat food ever. No, you still do need to eat food. But the other swing is the other way we're saying, no, the spiritual things are left for one day a week or left for one moment a week when actually we are always both. How do I know this? Genesis 1 verse 1. God created the heavens and the earth together. Boom, same moment. Genesis 1, heavens and earth created together. Genesis 3 verse 17 to 19, we man's sins. Man is condemned to just an earth-only existence, from earth trying to get up to heaven. God, please, God, please save us. God, God, it feels like the separation. But then we find in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 1 verse 10, it tells me this, and this is one of my favorite verses as well. Ephesians 1 verse 10 says, in Christ Jesus, he has brought everything in heaven and earth together. 
He's removed the Gnostic separation of spiritual moments, physical moments, that actually every moment is spiritual. What I mean by this, basically, in rapid fire, Mondays become spiritual moments. Mondays. Those are the most unspiritual days of the week, surely. No one is spiritual on a Monday morning at 8 a.m. When the boss is saying, have you responded? Why didn't you reply to my email on Saturday? And you're like, oh, I'm just trying to have a life. In that moment, you are still a spiritual person. Can I tell you? Board meetings are spiritual moments. Trying to sell properties are spiritual moments. Doing accounting, spiritual moments. Teenage kids freaking out, spiritual moments. These are spiritual moments. Some of you are like demon moments, yes. No, spiritual moments all the time. Actually, when we start to understand this, the should-nots, the would-nots, the could-nots start to become reframed. The language in our life, you see, what happens is the leper comes to Jesus. In those days, a leper touches you, you get infected. But Jesus Christ, when he touches the leper, the leper gets changed. What's inside of him changes that situation. Jesus wasn't showing us, hey, look how amazing I am. Boom, boom, boom. I'm going to do the walk on water thing now. Check how cool I am. No. Jesus was showing Peter that this is your new normal. Out of and into a new normal. This is the understanding is that actually, I don't know if you've ever heard angry preachers say this on the side of the road. They'll have all the, maybe you've seen the YouTubers, they have the picketing of events and saying, repent for the kingdom is at hand. True. I just think sometimes we get the wrong idea of what it means when the kingdom is at hand. Yes, it means linear. Yes, the kingdom of God in fullness is coming closer and closer where one day there'll be no more tears. One day there'll be no more pain. There'll be no more death because Jesus will win completely where the victory will be done. Yes, it's coming closer. But actually, I think we're missing the whole point that actually when John the Baptist was speaking about that, he was not speaking about a future day. He was speaking about a person named Jesus Christ in whom the, whole, the fullness of the kingdom dwells. So when he says the kingdom is at hand, he's not meaning linear, coming one day when. He's saying the kingdom is at hand. It's here. Reach out and touch it. It's here. So much so, Jesus actually says the kingdom of God is not over there. It's not over there. He says the kingdom is within you. Jesus' words. The kingdom is within you. Now, this is so huge. What does that mean? That means no matter what your experience is, no matter what your feelings are or your circumstance, where you go, the kingdom of God goes. So when I walk into a room, actually, when I start to understand that I'm called, that I'm equipped, there's no situation I walk into that that I have to be overwhelmed by. There's no situation I walk into where I say, I don't know how to handle that. Because he says, no, no, I've put you here and I've equipped you here for that. And my kingdom's within you. This is, we, it's got to shift our thinking because I want to tell you, to be honest, that we have in this room more authority in this city than the mayor of Cape Town. In this room. I have more authority in my pinky over spiritual realms and authorities in this, in this city than the mayor of Cape Town. And that's not me boasting. It's because I've understood actually I'm called and I'm equipped. I tell these stories, and there's a, a man, I, yes, I got the SMS from him, so I wasn't going to tell the story, but I reminded, for years, went for years, for years, for years, going to a Muslim barber who cuts my hair, going, I should go to a Christian barber, I should go to a Christian barber, you know, because it's helpful, you can, you know, Muslims, I don't know, but actually, you know what, if I go in, I, I don't have to worry what's, what's coming from them, because actually, Jesus touches the leper, they get clean, I'm going to go to the Muslims, and I'm going to go with faith, so I sit there, and I become friends with a guy, Yusuf, and he becomes my friend, and, and we talk about, the, talk about things, we explain, I explain the gospel, oh, yeah, yeah, but he's not really listening, he's just cutting my hair, and I thought after a while, when he, he's got to be careful, anyway, so when they bring the blade out, the beard, I just won't speak about it now, anyway, just being honest, 
But afterwards, I remember this thing, and, and I've been friends, and thinking, okay, God, how, how do I do this? I can't, I don't know the, the I know the five tenets of Islam, but how, I can't explain. I, I'm not an apologist. I can't argue with a Muslim. I can't do that, because, and I can't in the natural. But I'm called, and I'm equipped, and where I go, the kingdom of God goes. So I sit there, and I go, I don't need to know all the answers. I just need to be available. And as I sit there, this guy, I build a friendship with him. A while later, the, the, the proverbial something hits the fan, and their business breaks up, and he suddenly is, got, he's, he is all in a quandary because he says, actually, he's been kicked out of the business. He's got nowhere to stay, and he's got, he doesn't know what he's going to do with his life. So where does he run for help? He pitches up at Life Changes Church on the doorstep during the week, saying, can I speak to Gabriel? I don't know how to talk about Islam, but I do know how to talk into this situation. And as he comes, he says, what do I do? What do I do? I started to pray for him. He didn't give his life to Jesus at the moment. I encourage you. He said, no, not yet, not yet. But uh, thank you for praying. Thank you. Still this friend, he sends me a message saying, last night, now this is the journey of two years. He says, I'd love to get together with coffee for you. I would love to spend more time with you. I'm like, I've got to tell that story again because it's not finished. But I'm just, the illustration of this, there's another man who, one of Mark's friends in Durban, who on a Friday came to Mark and said to Mark, I'm so terrified because actually I've just had to write out 15 resignation letters, of, uh, letters to exterminate contracts on Monday for 15 workers at work. And I, I can't, I don't know if I have the courage to tell the families, I know what that's going to do to those 15 people, what do I do in those situations? So Mark said, but let's pray. Let's pray that God, God will do the miraculous. This is, a, this is a situation that it shouldn't come right, it could, probably can't come right, probably won't come right, but let's pray. He prayed, and on the Sunday, he phoned Mark and said, Mark, last night, you won't believe it, I had a dream, and I think I, I got given a strategy of how I can save these jobs. So Mark says, he said, what should I do? So Mark says, well, go into your office tomorrow, don't tell them you had a dream. Just, <laughs> just tell them you've got a strategy, but watch what God will do. And as he applied the wisdom, they were able to save 15 jobs. I don't know what, 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 what Christianity you've bought into, but this is who we are called to be, a people who walk into the should-not situations. In this economy, we should not be able to employ more people. We have to be retrenching people. But God, give us solutions. We should not. We, we could not do this. We, we can never do that. That person will never come to faith. Actually, the should-nots, the could-nots, the would-nots become reframed when we understand we are called, we are equipped, and that where we go, the kingdom of God goes. This is how simple the faith, our faith is, but how profound We've got the mind of Christ. We've got everything we need for every situation. As I land this morning, I want to tell you that I'm believing that God, if we put our hearts and we open our hearts wide, God's going to give us strategies for the nonprofits, for justice, for the recession, for creativity in our city, that actually why could God not change our city through the people sitting in this room? Not because of our sheer numbers or because of our sheer, unless if we all band together, we all give this. No, 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 no. That that economy doesn't equate to what what God wants to do. Because that should not happen, that won't happen, that cannot happen. But with God, when we say, God, would you release the priesthood and do something, we'll see miracles that we've never dreamt of. I, I won't tell you, we're not going to be a church of hiding out and singing kumbaya till the, until the rapture happens. It's just If we just keep our eyes closed, hear no evil, see no evil, do no evil. Come on, guys, say it with me. Say hear no evil, see no evil, do no evil. When actually, we go, Jesus showed us a different model. He walked to the lepers and he touched them. Bam. He allowed guys to rip open ceilings and co- costing Peter money. Say, Peter, phone insurance. They'll fix the roof. Boom, because paralyzed people getting healed. People who they'll never come to faith in one moment, responding, boom, leaving everything and changing their ways. God is saying, this is the new normal. 
Not a church you bunker down, but a church you say, actually, we call to be released wide. This morning, I want to say this, that we are not a church on the block. We are a city on a hill. Bible, when he describes life change church, when he describes the church, is not describing a suburban church. It's describing, it says, you are a city on a hill, a lampstand that cannot be hidden. I love the scriptures. I land. It says, all creation waits and groans for what? All creation is waiting and groaning for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. It doesn't say waits and groans for the next album that's going to be coming out of that big church. It doesn't say waits and groan for the next superstar preacher. It says, no, waits and groan for the sons and daughters to be revealed. God's going to use us. And uh, the one thing I really believe is that God, God is convinced of who you are and that you're equipped. All creation is waiting and groaning for it. It's convinced. I tell you, Satan is convinced of it. If you're feeling attacked, if you're feeling under pressure, if you're feeling every time I step out in faith, it feels like, oh, that's because the enemy knows it. He's trying to distract you and trying to put pressure on you so you back down. God knows it. All creation knows it. Satan knows it. The only people seem to be second-guessing themselves are you and I. But that's why we need the Word of God to come upon us because for too long we've been tamed by tradition, expectation, and circumstances. I land with this story. There's a, a group of Christians in the 1700s called the Moravian Brethren. And these Moravian men were amazing men who, who had missions on their hearts and they went on trips to go and preach the gospel where other people wouldn't go. But there's two young men who arrived in, in, in the, what's now known as the, the West Indian area, the Jamaica, that area, to go preach the gospel. But they found their efforts were thwarted again and again and again. Why? Because they were white people and they were always stopped by slave owners because slave owners said, no, you can minister in the white churches. No, go, go, no, go free. You can have Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. But they said, no, we want to go preach to the slaves. There were over 30,000 slaves in that area at that time. And they said, no, 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 you cannot go there. You shouldn't go there. You cannot go there. And actually, because of us, you won't go there. No white people go there. So it just broke their heart. They thought, actually, there's 30,000 men and women there who will never hear the gospel because of these guys. Nope. So what these two young guys did was they did what shocked the whole and changed the way of Moravian, uh, the, the Moravian work of way of uh, ministry happened. What they did was they sold themselves into slavery. They said, fine, if we should not, if we cannot, and if we will not, we'll sell ourselves into slavery. And as the story goes, as they, bought, as they were separated for the family for the last time, they said, may the, may the lamb that was slain receive the due of his suffering. That's what they said. And that's become the Moravian creed, as they said that it went. And they were slaved, sold into slavery for the sake to preach the gospel of 30,000 people. They gave up their rights. They, they gave up their ability to say, actually, it's not about our comfort. It's not about our ability. Cool, let's have a nice church service. We'll preach there when actually they're called to die to himself and say, we're going to live for others. Why I land with that? I'm I, I really praying. My prayer this week is that we'll start to reframe our Mondays, reframe our jobs. Ugh, if only I could just get another job. When God says, why? I've called you there. I've equipped you for there. Actually, I've called you. I've equipped you. And actually, maybe God, not to stress the metaphor, maybe it's time for us to say we're going to die to our own comfort and say, God, will you reframe my future, reframe the way I see what's in front of me, re reframe what I'm holding in my hands because you're calling the priesthood to go. I don't know if that encourages you this morning, but I really believe that if God calls you there, he will back you there. The scriptures tells us in Isaiah, if you walk through the fire, you will not be burnt. I'm not saying this is easy. I'm not saying this is everything's, everyone's going to agree. I'm not saying that every door is going to be open. I'm not saying that prosperity is coming your way if you do this. I'm saying that he'll be with you. And he's called you and he's equipped you for that journey. You have more than you know.